This is your host, Ronnie Fernandez, LCSW, licensed clinical therapist and owner of Ronnie Fernandez Therapy Buffer Guys. If you want to know more about me and my private practice, go to RonnieFernandez.com. Hello and welcome to Mindset, the guy podcast where men talk about their life challenges and how were they, how they were able to overcome them. My goal with this podcast is to help men better express their thoughts and develop a mindset to better deal with, with their life challenges. This podcast is not clinical therapy. The men that I interview are not my clients, but have great stories on how they were able to develop a mindset to conquer their challenges. I'm not a professional interviewer or host, so please forgive me for all the ums, pauses, and misplaced words. With that being said, let me introduce you to my next guest. Dale Jackson is a former professional baseball player that grew up in Compton, California. Daryl attended Arizona State and then went on to play for the Minnesota Twins. Dale now runs the 1020 Club. The 1020 Club provides support to at-risk youth throughout Los Angeles and Orange County. In this podcast, Daryl talks about his, his baseball journey, his struggle with drugs and alcohol, and how he was able to find recovery. I hope you enjoy this talk as much as I did. All right, Daryl. Thank you for uh, for joining me and um, being able to to share your story. No problem, Ronnie. <laughs> Glad to be here. All right, thanks. And Daryl Jackson, I, I met Daryl about ten years ago. Um, he's just so active in the community um, with uh, with lo- with local programs, sharing his story. And um, I, I I heard Daryl's story a couple of years ago, and um, I just felt like it's very important to. Um, to to uh, to share your story with with other men and that may be going through um, s- uh, same kind of s- situation that you've been through, and you know talk a little bit on how you were able to overcome um, everything that you've been through. Right, no problem. I think so. What we'll do is we'll we'll go ahead and start. Um, so, th- can you tell me a little bit about how you know how you started in how you started in baseball? How how what did that look like? Well, one of the Things I remember most is my dad was a baseball fan, and uh, growing up in Los Angeles, I was fortunate enough to have uh, Vince Scully as the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Dodgers. Uh, Whenever my dad would listen to the game on the radio, Vince Scully would capture my imagination, Um, and I fell in love with the Dodgers and and just had a passion for wanting to play baseball someday and be a Los Angeles Dodgers as a result of my love for Vince Scully and all the Dodgers in the 60s. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your baseball journey? Well, my baseball journey started as a little leaguer. At, uh, actually, I, I actually falsified my age. Uh, you had to be uh, 10 years old, and I told that I was 8 years old, and I said I was 10, which wasn't true, and, and I played that year didn't do well and then I think I took a year off and then at the age of uh, 10 I started playing baseball seriously and uh, I played little league ball uh, locally in Los Angeles area uh, then I played uh, high school ball and then eventually uh, Connie Mac and then eventually college and then professional oh. and what were some of your 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 highlights of um, professional baseball well I mean when you talk about highlights uh, if you look at amateur ball, um, being able to win a scholarship to Arizona State, um, playing against a, a person who was recruited by Arizona State, uh, I was the adversary on the opposing team, uh, Kenny Landro, who wound up playing for the Dodgers a number of years. Uh, also, my first baseman was Eddie Murray, who's a Hall of Famer, and we were playing summer ball in the city of Compton, and they were there to recruit Eddie and uh, Kenny, uh, offer them scholarships to Arizona State. Uh, 
I just happened to be the pitcher that night against Kenny's team. Uh, Eddie was on my team. And I performed extremely well and won a scholarship to Arizona State as a result of that performance. Uh, while at Arizona State, uh, my senior year, I was able to help them win a national championship. That's another highlight where we were uh, Division One champions in 1977. And my uh, pitching age, three-hit shutout in the semifinals allowed us to go to the finals, and we won the following night. So uh, we became national champions. Uh, as far as professional highlights, my first game in professional baseball, uh, I started the year in double-A. I pitched for the Orlando Twins opening night, my first professional game out of Arizona State. I pitched a no-hitter uh, against the Jacksonville uh, team, uh, which was an affiliate of the Kansas City Royals. And just uh, nine games later, I was called up to the major leagues, which obviously is the biggest highlight of realizing that dream of, of being a major leaguer, which was great. But the only thing that didn't happen was it was – being called up by the Minnesota Twins and not the Los Angeles Dodgers. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And so one of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation was to talk about some of the challenges that you've been through. Can you can you tell us uh, a little bit about that? Well, I mean, you talk about challenges. Of a, I'm a 63-year-old man, so I've been through a lot. Uh, however, you know, I'm not sure if any children or teenagers are going to hear this podcast. I but I'm pretty honest. Yeah. Um, I started drinking at the age of 14, alcohol. And in spite of those choices and, and looking back at it as being a, a heavy drinker, or, I mean, I hate to be labeled myself as an alcoholic at that mm -hmm. age. However, but I used alcohol to overcome a low self-esteem, uh, to gain confidence, just to dance with girls at a local dance, a high school dance or whatever. I was extremely shy, and alcohol allowed me to come out of my shell, so to speak. Uh, but in spite of those choices, I was still able to perform on the baseball field. In spite of being 5'9 and, and weighing 120 pounds or whatever I was, I was extremely small, but I pitched like I was 6'4", 220 pounds. Um, and in spite of those choices off the field, I was still able to perform on the baseball field. And I, those challenges, uh, that was a challenge that, was self-created, you know, it shouldn't have been a, a challenge, but in spite of those choices, I was able to overcome my uh, poor choices and continue to excel on the baseball field. And uh, the biggest challenge I had was when I left Los Angeles and had to go to Arizona State. Uh, growing up in a all-black community, attending Lock High School, uh, a school that when you look at demographics were 99.9% .9 uh, African-American, uh, and then the culture shock of leaving the Compton, Los Angeles area and going to Arizona State, which was predominantly white, was a really big challenge. Um, and if I can honestly say, I, I hate to admit it, but I had this inferiority complex. Uh, I felt that uh, I really didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I was intellectually uh, compatible with the uh, non-blacks, if you will, and so I, I went to Arizona State, uh, and the only way that I was able to cope with my inferiority complex was to drink alcohol. When I ingest alcohol, I have no fear. I, 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 it removes all uh, lack of self-esteem and and just gives me this false sense of courage. Yeah, and that's, and that's very common with men, and, um, and that's why we often drink a, a lot is to, to, 
to decrease that anxiety um, when we ask a girl, a girl out, when we, um, you know, when we're dealing with problems um, in general, men tend to isolate and, and drink when they get older. And um, that's, that's, that's part of, I think that's part of the issue. How, so what, what, are, what are some of the situations that kind of got you that, um, that, uh, that led up to, to different Problems. You know, and, and again, let's let's be honest. Um, when a girl rejected, I didn't deal with rejection, especially with females rejecting me. I became violent. You hurt me emotionally, I would hurt them physically. Uh, it's not an excuse or even a cop-out, but in those days, men, when they are uh, in relationship with domestic violence, wasn't really a, I shouldn't say a big deal because it is a big deal, and I don't want to uh, downplay it. Uh, but uh, men would hit women in those days. And to be a man, uh, so to speak, you had to be able to control the woman, uh, that machismo that uh, we were taught. If you're not a man, if you can't control your woman. So I eventually hurt a girl really bad physically my senior year after high school, before, prior to going to Arizona State. And it's amazing that her mother didn't press charges on me because she didn't want to mess up my baseball career in spite of me injuring and hurting her daughter the way I did. And, and that, that was really a, 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 a terrible incident. And then while at Arizona State, the lady that became the daughter of my mother, I eventually uh, physically abused her too. And so I often feel, you know, I was doing things and, and, and hurting others. Uh, the drinking made me a, everything that I despised I became when I drank. By nature, I'm a loving, caring, nurturing person, but give me alcohol and I, I become the opposite, uh, everything I despise. So I was living a life where I looked in the mirror and I really didn't like myself very much. And, uh, and it was a real challenge. And, uh, and baseball, I guess, was my, my safe haven. When I was on the baseball field, it allowed me to get away from all the uh, horrible, uh, if you will, secrets that I was carrying. I don't know if others knew of my behavior and my attitude, but for some reason, in spite of those choices, I was, I don't know, I, I would hate to say what, I, they were enablers, but there was no consequences like there are today for athletes abusing women. Yeah, that, that was gonna ask you was, I mean, getting away with, with those type of behaviors, did it, did it make it worse? Well, I think yes, because it allowed me to continue with the destructive behavior, not just self-destruction but the lives of others in my life and and it was kind of it's when I look back at it it's kind of strange because by nature you know I'd do anything in the world for anybody which is being sober allows me to do that today but people saw something in me and I guess if you talk about a spiritual uh, aspects of my life is that there was a force in my life and I choose to call I'm a Christian so that people just saw the good in me a matter of fact, I didn't bring a book, but my, my coach at Arizona State, Coach Brock, wrote a book about uh, wanting to get rid of me. He actually mentions me in his book that he started, started, started to make an example out of me and kick me off the team, but there was something inside of me that he felt that it, it, it was better to keep me on the team and allow me to pull through my demons, if you will. Wow. So I, I've been through a lot of challenges, and, and in spite of all those things, I was still able to... Uh, I injured my hand in a fight in college, and as a result of that injury, it made <laughs> I laugh, it made me a better pitcher. So and I, I, I know it, it doesn't make sense to tell you this, but uh, it, uh, 
I hurt my middle finger, which in gripping a baseball, it allowed me to grip a baseball, the perfect uh, grip in order to throw an excellent breaking ball. I always threw hard, but in order to be a really successful pitcher, you need two pitches. And so when I injured my middle finger on my pitching hand, it allowed me to put enough uh, 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 pressure on the seam to throw the most tightest, beautiful, I, I threw a slurve, which is between a curveball and slider. And after I rehabilitated my hand uh, from going from maybe never pitching again to becoming a, a, a guy that uh, led the conference in strikeouts and, and went on and helped the team win a national championship, and less than a year later I was in the major league. So, so it's, it's, it's weird how things turned out for me in that respect. And how, how were you able to, to overcome the drinking and, and, and everything? Well, we're moving uh, along because, again, in spite of those choices in college, I went on to professional baseball. And I had moments of greatness, if you will, moments of where, you know, I pitched, shut out the Yankees in Yankee Stadium in 11 innings, uh, didn't give up a hit. Uh, you know, I was on my way to becoming a fixture in the major leagues. And then during the offseason, one year in the offseason, I, I got drunk in Anaheim at a happy hour at uh, El Torito in Anaheim. <laughs> Uh, tequila and I don't really get along. We were drinking these, I guess, I don't know what it was, tequila, sunrise, I don't know, or margaritas or whatever. And I got so disgustingly drunk, I got arrested and got injured when the cops arrested me and injured my shoulder. And, the, and as a, real, a result of that binge, uh, I wound up having some real problems my next two years in the major leagues. And my final season in the major leagues was 1982. From 1982 uh, to 1986, I drank myself and I eventually got involved with another substance called crack cocaine. Um, and I was very lonely. Uh, I would pick up the newspapers and uh, read about my high school buddies, Ozzie Smith, Eddie Murray, uh, uh, having great all-star careers. Uh, my good friend and teammate at Arizona State, Kenny Landry, was the Los Angeles Dodgers. and. Uh, he was doing really well with the Dodgers from in that in that period of time. Uh, I isolated and made sure that I didn't run into any former ball players because I didn't want anyone to see how disgusting I was. Um, I was back in the streets of Los Angeles, uh, Compton area, uh, uh, collecting aluminum cans in order to get cheap wine. I mean, I was really gone. Eventually, and I hate to say this because I get a little emotional, and since you're a clinician, I, I guess it's safe to to expose my emotional uh, uh, feelings here. I even though we're talking over 30 years ago, I still remember the night where I just felt so defeated and I gave up on life and I cursed God and, and, uh, and I attempted suicide. And, and through that suicide attempt, um, uh, I had a brother that reached out to me, but in spite of uh, that attempt, in spite of that emotional bottom, I continued to uh, have uh, drink and use. And, uh, I was fortunate enough, again, where God put me in a position to go to a game to watch the Pirates play the uh, Dodgers. And in the stands was a, a guy named Doc Ellis, who is famous for pitching a no-hitter uh, under the influence of LSD against the San Diego Padres. And Doc told me about workers' compensation benefits where if you, even though I played for Minnesota, I was a California resident, I was eligible for workers' comp. And through that process, I was able to get uh, in a hospital, get in the treatment. And, and as a result of that treatment program and workers' comp, I was able to find sobriety.
Wow. And who, when you started to find sobriety, who helped you along the way? Well, you know, we have a programs and support groups that require at the level of press, radio, and films where we maintain anonymity mm. personally. Yeah. Uh, however, I, I went through support groups. Uh, treatment just got kind of helps you get started. Uh, the real uh, recovery comes once you leave treatment. That's the, the, the safe surroundings of you know, counselors and therapists and all that. And when they let you, you know, it's scary when they discharge you and it's time to go out in the world and practice what you learn. And so I go to support groups. But the main thing, I help myself by helping others. And then there was a guy named George Upton. Uh, George is a little over 100 now, and uh, he reached out to me, this white guy, a retired professor. And I was in Orange County, uh, away from, you know, Los Angeles, Compton, uh, which was a big deal because I was able to get move into a new environment, so I wasn't around all my... Uh, people that I did drugs with or uh, drink with or had issues with. So I had new new playground and new playmates, so to speak. And George reached out to me again, saw something in me I didn't see in myself, and uh, he sat me down in his home and helped me set out a plan for uh, doing the work that I do today. And uh, I was going to go into credit and collections and accounting and bookkeeping, a business career, and he suggested I work with youth. And uh, so he sat me down and, and talked me into going back to school. Uh, so I had a mentor. And so everything I do today isn't really my bright idea. I'm just doing what people did for me. So when a teenager comes into my life, uh, all I do is what George and others did for me. Mm -hmm. uh, there was another gentleman named Alan Doby who was my park director in Little League. We were reunited years later. Uh, he was a friend of George Upton's. They were both uh, Kiwanians out of Santa Ana, Kiwanis, the Kiwanis Club. And, and George told me he had a friend that was director of Parks and Rec, executive director, actually, in Santa Ana. And it turned out to be the guy that knew me when I was a little kid growing up in Los Angeles. So I thought that he was going to just give me a job and take care of me. But he said, no, he gave me a $5 an hour job, 20 hours a week, and made me re-enroll in college before he hired me. So he really made me pay my dues. So, but I'm ever grateful. But I thought he was just going to, again, take care of me and not have me do much. And, and that didn't work that way. So George and uh, Mr. Doby. And, and then, of course, there's so many others that I could share eventually. But, uh, so that's what started my sobriety, uh, my, my road to recovery, and helped me, if you will, uh, 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 transfer or leave that that image of being Daryl Jackson, the baseball player, to Daryl Jackson, just uh, the guy that works with youth and, and do what I do today, so that baseball wasn't, the loss of baseball had lost its impact. I, I kind of, if you will, recreated my life. So can, you, can you explain what you're doing now? And how what I do now, I just work with at-risk teens, and again, I do the same thing that the people did for me uh, that I couldn't do for myself, uh, but I Without any business plan, any marketing plans or anything like that, I, I started working with youth and started support groups for at-risk teens. Many of it was in the uh, 80s. We had the gang issues, the gang problems. Uh, so there, you know, we had programs like D.A.R.E. and SANE and all these anti-gang uh, programs. And in the city of Downey, while I was working with some mental health facilities in their marketing program, I, I represented that, that organization. Uh, and in Downey, they started this program called Gangs Out of Downey to prevent gangs from infiltrating Downey. 
in my job, uh, when I came, they had preve prevention and education. Um, they had the suppression uh, component with the police department, which is really important when you're dealing with gangs. But they had no intervention, uh, no one really working with gangs. And so I brought the program, uh, the 1020 Club, to Downey as an early intervention program for youth who were at risk for gangs. And I coordinate or, or collaborated with uh, Downey Unified School District and the city of Downey. Uh, in 1995, the city and, and the school district got together and hired me as a full-time consultant, and I've been working here as a full-time consultant since 1995, uh, providing anger management classes, drug and alcohol diversion, community services. Um, they uh, had me go back to college and get uh, a teaching credentials for parenting education, family management and parenting education through the Downey Adult School. So we offer parenting classes through the 1020 Club, uh, which we incorporated back in 1995 with the help of George Upton, the guy that I was my mentor. And, um, and I do individual counseling, and we provide scholarships and just help teenagers. We have a, a saying, we help youth help themselves. And so, again, uh, we just do my, my philosophy, my, my mission, uh, my goal is to provide the services to, uh, and give back what was freely given to me. There's nothing profound. It's just a love and concern for youth yeah. and helping them with their challenges like people help me with mine. What what advice or kind of guidance you would give someone that's, that, was, that, that would be in, in a similar situation? Well, I, for one thing, I never knew being a man meant loving and respecting your, the woman in your life respecting the opposite sex it has nothing to do with machismo where you know being a man doesn't mean I can outbox you or out drink you that's the myth that I grew up with tough guy you know uh, drink this it'll put hair on your chest and I can tell you I drink a lot of alcohol and I don't have hair on my chest so that's <laughs> not true however uh, just loving and respecting yourself first I mean I can't love and respect anyone else until I've learned to love and respect myself and 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 just uh you know, respect the opposite sex as a man. When we talk about men, or if this is for mm -hmm. men, yeah. and, and to realize any man that puts his hand on a woman is a coward. But I don't believe in violence, and I think violence is a learned behavior, and what is learned can be unlearned. And I can go into why, I, how I learned it in my environment, in my community, you hurt us. Uh, if you got hurt or somebody... Uh, uh, did something you didn't like, you hurt them physically. You, you beat them up. Or if I had a fight with a friend, or if a friend down the street hit me and I came home crying, my brother said, what happened? I said, well, Joey hit me, and my brother would make me go back and fight Joey. You don't come home crying. You better go back and fight him. So I was taught, you know, when somebody hurts you, to hurt them back. And uh, but it, so today we don't, we believe that violence is not the solution to anything. And so We've learned how to squash the ego, uh, set aside my pride, and realize uh, being a real man is the ability to not to, to try and convince people who's right and who's wrong, but not to do what's right or wrong. Not to be what's right and what's wrong, but do what's right. Yeah. Instead of saying, I'm right and you're wrong, forget about that, who's right and who's wrong, but just do what's right, in spite of who's right or what's wrong. Do the right thing, so to speak. Yeah, how... Trying to think, how can we? Because I think there's a balance of like, okay, there's there's a point where we have to be able to, to like, um, 
defend and and protect her family but also be vulnerable and be be understanding and i'm just trying to find out how as men how do we find that balance well i think you know spiritually yeah uh, i think we need other men uh doing things along and that again uh i don't need nobody else i can take care of myself no i i depend on others uh some days that i just don't know what to do and i'll call up a a, a well-grounded friend um, I've chosen my friends very careful. Um, the reason why I have good credit is because I have a friend with good credit taught me how to pay my bills on time and how to be responsible financially. Um, so I have, I'm surrounded by successful people and by being around them, uh, you know, they say hang with the winners. And mm-hmm. so uh, we have that balance, but there's one thing, uh, you and I both know we're both gentle men but you try to harm our wives and our children, and, and, and that's any yeah. instinct of any animal or anybody else. I remember uh, my wife had this cat who was scared of its own shadow, uh, but if you cornered that cat, it would hiss and fight back eventually. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I don't need to show prove my machismo. For example, and I'll tell you this, uh, I had a, a guy, I was, had a pit bull, and I'm scared of those dogs. I'm scared of dogs generally, but even more pit bulls. And I asked the guy if this dog, if the dog bite. And he looked at me and he, he said, "You, the, you, the, you're N word. Do you bite?" Oh. And the old Daryl would have socked him. But the guy that I am today, I set aside my pride aside and just looked at the guy as being an ignorant fool, and 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 letting him go. My pride oh. and ego say, "Deal with this guy and and don't let him get away with saying that." but my intellect controlled my emotion and I thought about the consequences because this guy has a family, I have a family and it could have escalated into something really bad and only thing got hurt was my little pride but nothing was worse. So I've learned to let things go and, and not allow my emotions to over, over, uh, take my intellect. In other words, I think about consequences before I act now, before I just acted and didn't think about consequences. Yeah, that's a very powerful story of you <coughs> sharing that because, yeah, <coughs> men, men tend, li- tend to like, you know, I, I can understand if I was younger, yeah, that would have uh, got me pretty upset and would have caused, Anybody that knows Daryl Jackson yeah. hears this story, you're going to say, you didn't sock that guy, yeah. they, they won't believe it. But yeah. what's, what's the point? A guy was ignorant. He was a fool. Yeah. Uh, excuse my language, being calling someone a fool, but. But, uh, and, and, and the thing about it is that I earned the guy's respect because his daughter had aspirations of going to Arizona State mm-hmm. to play softball. Well, I, I played baseball with the head coach. And so I was actually able to call up the head coach on my cell phone and, and, and make sure that uh, the coach took a look at his daughter. And now he has a mm-hmm. love and respect for me that you w- couldn't imagine. But I set aside his behavior and still helped his daughter because I wasn't going to punish her because of her dad's uh, uh, ignorance. Yeah. And so, so as a man, it makes me feel really good because uh, now he, he has a, a respect for me that uh, I didn't demand. I, I kind of earned by helping his daughter uh, with her uh, chance to get into Arizona State. Unfortunately, wow. she didn't get in because we have high standards as far as yeah. uh, athleticism. But uh, but. Sh- I did allow him t- and his family to meet the coach and to actually have him take a look at their daughter. Yeah. With just a phone call. So. Wow. 
yeah that's very very powerful sorry i mean it, it the, the power of like just taking a deep breath and then and then just walking away and then after forgiving is is i think one of the most powerful things you can do as a man and and my ego says you're a little I, you know <laughs> i don't want to use the word on the podcast yeah. but you know excuse the language but you're a sissy yeah you're a little punk yeah However, uh, no, it takes a real man to do the right thing and to keep, and, and, and again, the guy has a nice wife, nice family, and we just have too much to lose, and I got too much to lose, and, and I don't know where that comes from. I think it comes from spiritual strength, uh, attending a lot. You know, I'm emotionally fit most of the time. I really take care of myself, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so we just don't change. It takes work uh, to fix uh, the old, change the old behaviors, attitudes, and thoughts. And like I said, to recreate yourself, so to speak. And uh, uh, there's, but the old Daryl is still there. But I just kind of thank God. Uh, I, I've been sober over 32 years, so uh, a sober mind. I have a, a sound mind, and uh, and I, and so I'm a thinker today. I don't act on emotions as much. Wow. Yeah. Well, Daryl, that's it's been amazing um, talking to you, and uh i just want to thank you for for your time and for for sharing all those great stories so yeah ronnie not a problem and uh, go twins <laughs> <laughs> thanks daryl